0: Arnie Geddon. I'm Cam Smith, and I'm Tony G, and we're here this time to take on Escape Plan. I don't know how we're going to get out of this one, Cam. <laughs> <laughs> That's an excellent, excellent question. What kind of snaffle have we gotten ourselves into this time? We're going to take on Stallone and Schwarzenegger combined in an explosive epic inside the most inescapable of walls. Hey, don't give everything away. Now, Tony, I am curious, Escape Plan was a movie that, I don't know that it came out with a lot of hype, which was kind of weird because it was the pairing of Schwarzenegger and Stallone. Well, I can answer that question for you. Okay. No, it did not come out with a lot of hype. (laughs) Yeah, and I think maybe it would have, had the Expendables, the first two not come out before this. At this point, it was like, oh, Arnie and Sly together again? Whatevs. But had they released this before The Expendables, oh, people would have been excited. I think
1: so, too. Yeah, why didn't they do that? Well, because they didn't have a time machine, Cam. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs)
0: That's an excellent point.
1: Yeah. I don't know why. Well, I mean, this was the first film, I think, where uh, they were both top build together. Yeah. But... Yeah, we'd seen them together in Expendables and Expendables 2. But not 3. Not 3, not (laughs) yet. So why were people
0: so burned out?
1: And not 4, but that's looking down the road. (laughs) A long ways down the road. I don't know if people were burned out, but I know... um, We talked about it on our Expendables episode. Just having Schwarzenegger and Stallone in the same movie together, even though it was just a cameo, that was a big deal. Mm -hmm. And in some ways they tried to do in Expendables... What didn't really happen in this movie, which is they tried to have the time that they were on screen and Bruce Willis being there too, be basically one liners and fan service.
0: Right. Yeah. Especially in Expendables 2, where like Arnie is doing nothing but quips. Like this is the first time we're seeing him actually play a character opposite Stallone. That's right. And this was also Schwarzenegger's,
1: uh, depending on what you, how you want to count Expendables 2, uh, I think second... Big starring role after his return from politics as well.
0: Yeah, it didn't work out so well for him, did
1: it? Well, I don't know, Cam. I think we're going to get into it. I think maybe yeah. uh, it worked out well, we'll say, in international markets, but yeah. but maybe not so well
0: domestically. Yeah, so this movie, the budget isn't reported, but judging from all the estimates online, it was around $50 million. The number I saw the most reported was $54 million. Uh, domestically, it made $25 million. Not so hot. Not so hot. Uh, but foreign, it made 112 million, which is pretty hot, and for a total of worldwide 137 million, which like nowadays 137 million is kind of a drop in the bucket, but it, it was good enough for them, I guess. Anytime you can more than double your production
1: budget, sure. that's pretty good.
0: Yeah, like no one lost their job over Escape Plan.
1: No, in fact, uh, 50 Cent got t- two more jobs, I believe, Escape Plan
0: 2 and Escape Plan 3. We'll get to those a little later. <laughs> yeah. But for the domestic year, it was 101, ranking right between uh, Spike Jones's Her and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's Don John.
1: We've talked about this before with uh, when we did our Sabotage episode. Uh, I'm usually a little bit more forgiving. You're pretty you're pretty harsh when you're like this movie was number 31 in the box office. Yeah. You're like it only made 120 million dollars. Whereas I think like wow, you you released a film that finished in the top 50 and made over 100 million bucks. That's doing pretty good. But anytime I think even I when you can't crack the top 100, when you yeah. when you're in the triple digits,
0: yeah. Yeah. That's a problem, although I'm assuming that's domestically and not... That's domestically, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, like, her and Don John are both good movies, so you can't say it's down with, like, the really dire stuff. Um, But here's kind of a sum up of the top ten of of that year, of 2013. Tony, feel free to chime in on any of these. At number (laughs) one, you had The Hunger Games, Catching Fire. At number two, Iron Man 3, which I'm a big fan of. So am I. Yeah. Number three, Frozen, which was a runaway hit for Disney. Number four, Despicable Me 2. Number five, Man of Steel. Maybe the best DC movie in the DC universe. Uh, Maybe. Actually, you know what? Shazam was pretty good. I'm not sure. Does Steel count as a DC
1: universe movie?
0: It does in my heart. Yeah. Hi, Shaq. We know he's a listener, right? (laughs) Number six, Gravity. Number seven, Monsters University. Number eight, The Hobbit, Desolation of Smaug, which, Tony, you were a big fan of those Hobbit movies, I believe. Yeah, I think the first one, uh, the director's cut, is actually still being filmed. (laughs) (laughs) Number nine, Fast and Furious 6, probably the second best Fast and Furious movie. I think five is my favorite. Uh, I don't know. We could debate Fast and Furious rankings all day, believe me. And <laughs> number 10, Oz the Great and Powerful, Sam Raimi's really weird remake of Army of Darkness. <laughs> so basically what you're saying is
1: that 2013 was a crap year for movies.
0: I mean, Frozen's good, Iron Man 3's good, Gravity's good. I like Monsters U, but like this top 10, it's not like all timers, really. Like, aside from like... Gravity, that's probably the only one I would say is great, I think. Yeah, it's kids' movies and superhero movies for the most part. And like some t- kind of like those uh, young adult movies with like Hunger Games.
1: Yeah, which now that you mention it, uh, I think that's kind of how movies have been for like the last 10 years or so.
0: Yeah, yeah. But this was also a year with a lot of action movies. Not in the top 10, you'll note. <laughs> <laughs> and so like there was far more than I think most years where I'm going through these these rankings But at number 25 you had Bruce Willis in G.I. Joe Retaliation Showing up as the original G.I. Joe uh, Yeah that was a real a piece of I think work is the word I'm looking for <laughs> Even Bruce Willis like could barely show up for that one Although I guess at that point he pretty much was phoning it in anyway Probably the fact that he was in that movie is the only reason that he wasn't in Escape Plan Yeah that's true At number 36, you had Olympus Has Fallen, the first in the Has Fallen trilogy, it seems. (laughs) Trilogy? Quadrilogy? We'll see. Yeah, who knows? Who cares? Uh, We know something's going to explode and the president's going to get saved. Yeah, Angel Has Fallen has landed here, so, you know, (laughs) we'll see how this one does and if we get a fourth. At number 52, you had A Good Day to Die Hard, a movie that you and I were talking about before we recorded this episode and just talking about how abominably shitty it is um I think I
1: literally walked out of the movie I think it was that bad I I, you if you were to ask me what it was about I think Russia was involved somehow yeah but uh I I can't remember much else about it except that it was really
0: bad John McClane screams I'm on vacation a lot even though his character right from the get-go is established as not being on vacation (laughs) that's how (laughs) shitty that movie is I remember I went to a critic screening of it And I actually really liked Live Free or Die Hard. People were kind of mixed on that one, but I really liked it. And I was like really open to enjoying this one, but uh, boy, I remember when it was over. uh, The way it works is, you know, with a lot of these 20th century films, when you go to see them with a a critic screening, at the end, they want you to just fill out some notes like, what did you think? Uh, You know, what is kind of your two-sentence review of this movie? And I remember, normally, you kind of just phone these things in, you know. You ran out of space. You had, <laughs> you had to turn the page over. You know, like, I had to fill one out for, like, the movie The Crudes, The animated movie. Right. And I could just be like, oh, vibrant animation. You know, not not breaking new ground, but fun. Something like that. But, like, Die Hard, this fifth one, I remember just sitting there for a long time. Because you don't want to get yourself banned from these screenings, either. <laughs> and so you're kind of like, um, not one of the better Die Hards, but... Jai Courtney is one to watch, or something like that, you know? You should have just written, I'm on vacation. (laughs) The director was on vacation. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The screenwriter was on vacation. Everyone involved was on vacation. (laughs) But anyways, uh, at number 76, you had Riddick. The uh, Vin Diesel attempt to reboot Riddick, or not reboot, but revitalize Riddick for the, uh, you know, box office. And it didn't really work. I kind of like the movie, though.
1: Yeah, you know, the Riddick movies, uh, they're inarguably trash but for whatever reason they're movies that
0: I just keep coming back to I really like them so I'd seen pitch black in theaters really liked it and I remember I rented Chronicles of Riddick at home and I really didn't like it and then a couple days later maybe a week later you called me and you were like hey do you want to come over and I was like yeah okay what's going on you're like I'm gonna watch the Chronicles of Riddick And I remember being like, oh, do I want to rewatch that movie? But I ended up, you know, going over because it's you. You're so charismatic and fun, right? thanks, Bell. You're no slouch yourself. And the experience of watching that movie with you was actually way more fun. And I walked out being like, you know what? That movie's not so bad. It has some fun imagination. I think also we watched the director's cut that night. Which makes a lot more sense. It does. I watched the theatrical the first time. So... I guess I can give a you know a modest recommend for the uh, director's cut kind of Chronicles <laughs> of Riddick. Um, at number one hundred and eighteen, another movie I did a critic screening for, Parker, which was a Jason Statham yeah, movie. Yeah, I
1: remember that movie. Yeah. No one else does, but
0: no, it was him trying to do that point blank paycheck character. That's been used several times in cinema. That's right, but he just ended up playing Jason Statham the way he always does. And wearing a big stupid hat. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Which was the most memorable thing in the movie. And uh, at number 128, you had Schwarzenegger coming in with The Last Stand, a movie we're going to get to, I think, a little bit down the road. We are, and this is kind of a drag for
1: Schwarzeneggers, and he's coming out of politics, kind of dusting off the old acting chops, and he's got two triple digit movies yeah and on the wrong side of the triple digit
0: yeah it's kind of sad number 132 you had bullet to the head which walter hill directed and walter hill directed schwarzenegger in red heat and you also had sylvester stallone in that movie and you know same deal with stallone yeah yeah bullet to the head well that name pretty much sums up its box office potential yeah. At number 140 you had Machete Kills with Danny Trejo, another kind of disappointment because I think the first Machete didn't do like spectacular, but it seemed like it was a pretty decent like home video player. Like I think it, you know, rented a lot of copies and probably sold a lot of DVDs, which urged them to make the second one and they were going to make a third and well, it's 2019 I still haven't gotten Machete Kills again. Although I really like Machete Kills. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I think I preferred the first one.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, me too. But uh, it, it's another movie that deserved to be in the top 100.
0: i <laughs> will put it that way. So yeah, kind of a disappointing year for like old school action movies. Yeah, kind of moving to animation and robot suits. And just when you say action movies, Fast and Furious, Iron Man 3, like that's the stuff audiences are eating now, you know, eating up. It's much more of the franchise stuff. For sure. And
1: I i mean, at the time that we're recording this, I just i just recently went to see Hobbs and Shaw several weeks after its opening uh, day. And what I'll say is I can appreciate where they're going with that, but it's definitely not the old school action that we're used to with Schwarzenegger on this podcast.
0: No, not at all. I mean, the fact that they're teasing the next one might be in space. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope so. I'm keeping my
1: fingers crossed. They ma- Each one, they managed to make... Slightly more ridiculous, and <laughs> absurd than the one before it. Yeah, but I, I was actually thinking about when I, after I came out of Hobbs and Shaw, Ch- and not because there's a character named Hobbs in Escape Plan. Right. Uh, that can you imagine Schwarzenegger in one of these newer
0: action movies? I think he'd be a little bit lost. I do think he could be fun if he were cast in like some sort of villain role or something like that, like something flashy. But like if he were. Just one of these a little bit bland leads in, like, a Fast and Furious movie, I think it would be pretty boring. But, you know, you give him the character with, like, a lot of personality, even, like, the way Kurt Russell did it in, I think it was Fast 7 he was introduced. Like, he was really fun there. I could totally see Schwarzenegger in that type of role. And I guess we've
1: seen Kurt Russell and Sylvester Stallone and Michael Rooker and all these other contemporaries
0: of Schwarzenegger show up in Marvel movies, so. Well, Michael Rooker was just added to Fast 9. So you've seen a lot of these old school guys joining this Fast and Furious franchise. You also have uh, John Cena uh, signing on for the for the part nine. Maybe they can get Schwarzenegger in there for number ten. It'd be fun to see. We'll see how Dark Fate does. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, so that's sort of that year, 2013. But Tony, I'm curious. In this year, did you see Escape Plan in theaters? I didn't. Actually. You didn't. Uh, I remember. I was super excited because. I'm not uh, that excited.
1: <laughs> no, I was. I was like one of the few people I was uh, excited that Schwarzenegger was making a comeback with both Last stand and Escape Plan. At the time, I believe I saw Last Stand in theaters, but I'll have to go back and check. i'll I'll remember that by the time we do our last stand episode, sure. but um but I was looking forward to escape plan. I'd looked up the previews. It looked really cool. I'm a big fan of Sylvester Stallone and Schwarzenegger, obviously. And I was stoked to see these guys in a prison escape movie, which was something a little bit different because the previews made it look like it was going to be a lot of fun, but less of an over-the-top action movie than maybe we were used to and more of a an, an escape movie. It looked kind of like a tech thriller. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, I didn't get a chance. I, I can't remember why. Sometimes I get busy and I can't go see these Schwarzenegger or Stallone vehicles on opening night. But yeah, but by the time I got around to it, which was, wasn't really more than maybe a week or a week and a half later, yeah. it was gone. It was only in the theaters for a week or two.
0: Yeah, it did Or at least well. the
1: theaters around me.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I went opening, uh, open probably not opening night, but opening weekend for sure um, to a theater downtown and like it was not a packed house like at all. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, so, so. so I did
1: see it though. It was picked up on Netflix mm-hmm. and I think I watched it some afternoon probably the best movie i've ever seen on netflix which
0: (laughs) i don't know if that what that says about either escape plan or netflix right and uh what did you think of it at the time
1: at the time the first time i saw it i I thought you know this is pretty good i don't know why this movie was so unsuccessful because uh like i'd watched the last stand uh and i thought oh yeah i can see why people who maybe aren't huge schwarzenegger fans wouldn't be into it Mm -hmm. uh it's Definitely classic action, and if you're not into that, if you're more into new action, then it might not be for you. But Escape Plan, in some ways, um, I won't say it has a universal appeal. Right. But it's a, I, th- I thought it was a little no, bit no, more... No, it's, it's a Summit Entertainment movie, not universal. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, I thought it was a little bit more accessible for people who aren't into bang-bang action.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, I won't say
1: I, I thought it deserved the Oscar or anything like that, but... I didn't feel like I'd wasted my afternoon any more than I wanted to waste it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I went into Escape Plan a little uncertain because I'd seen The Last Stand. And I, I don't want to say my thoughts on that movie. We'll get to that not too far down the road at all. Um, uh, but I remember walking out of The Last Stand and being like very like maybe confused about where Schwarzenegger's career was going to go from that point forward. Right. And so when I saw Escape Plan... I had a lot of reservations. I'd heard about this movie for quite a long time. It was originally called The Tomb. And I remember hearing about The Tomb being shot. I don't know if it was even released that quickly after they shot it. Like, I think it may have sat around for a little bit. I Don't quote me on that. But I just remember being very aware of that movie for quite a while. Well, it did. Because I remember...
1: Uh, I can't remember if I saw it or I read it. But Schwarzenegger reporting in, like... I won't say mid 2012, but like August, September 2012, that we're done filming. Yeah. And I was like, well great, I can't wait to see this thing. Yeah. And then it didn't come out until like September of twenty
0: thirteen. Right. Yeah. And so like by the time it was coming out, it was not exactly opening at like a prime, you know, real estate time of year. And I was like, well, here we go. And then the reviews started rolling in and they were really poor to mediocre. We'll call them mixed. Yeah, we'll call them mixed. And, uh, you know, my friend and I were still like, well, let's go anyway. And so we went and we both like walked out and were like, that was a fun movie. Like it wasn't, you know, look, it's not Predator or, you know, like Terminator 2 or anything, but it's a fun action movie. And I thought the both the leads were really fun together and it used its premise well. Like that was my sense at the time that like I expected it to be really cruddy like did you ever see the uh, stallone vehicle um lockup no but I, I know exactly what you're talking about uh
1: the 1989 like uh, prison movie yeah i think tom sizemore is in there too yeah uh, i may have seen it at some point but i couldn't tell you a thing about it except that stallone is in jail and he may or may not be a mechanic right
0: like i saw lockup and I thought it was really bad. I think everyone thought it was really bad. It was terrible. I think even Stallone thought it was bad. <laughs> I saw Van Damme's Death Warrant, another prison action movie. That was one of his weakest at that point, too. So, like, I'm not someone with a huge appetite for prison action movies. But I walked out of Escape Plan being like, you know what? In the realm of, you know, meat and potatoes, prison uh, action movies, this one's really good. It might not be The Rock. Right. Right. But it's not lockup.
1: That's right. Or, or on the Schwarzenegger scale, you know, it might not be predator, mm-hmm. but say it's not collateral damage.
0: That's an excellent way of putting it. But yeah, I enjoyed it at the time. So what about this time? We just finished it, Tony. What was your take this time?
1: I came out of it feeling pretty much the same way, Cam, which uh, at no point during this movie, and sometimes we've watched some bad movies on this podcast. It's actually a little distressing because I, when we started doing this podcast, I was under the genuine, honest-to-goodness impression... Slash delusion. Yes, that every movie that Arnold Schwarzenegger had ever done sure, was the best movie ever made. Yeah. I've had to revisit that opinion, <laughs> re-watching some of these films that maybe I hadn't seen for quite some time since I was a kid, but... That, this movie wasn't one of them. This movie, uh, it's tough to hold your attention when you've already seen a movie to begin with. Right. And then this time, I mean, same thing. I watched it. It's wasn't the best movie I've ever seen, but it was entertaining the whole way through.
0: Yeah. Like, I felt the same way. You know, we've had, uh, you know, with several of these movies, differing thoughts between the original time we saw it and the time we revisited it for the podcast uh last action hero for me in particular was one where i hated it in theaters but when you know we watched it for the podcast i was a little more won over by its weirdness this one i kind of feel the exact same way i did in 2013 which is like this is a really solid action movie i really love right off the bat you have this whole introduction to the Ray Breslin Stallone character as a guy who can break out of prisons. And we get this, like, heist movie breakdown, this 15-minute breakdown of how he escapes from a high-security prison. It's a really great opening, isn't it's it? It's fantastic. And it's, like, really well done visually. This movie was directed by Mikhail Hofstrom, who did the movie 1408, the Stephen King adaptation, which was pretty good, but, like, visually really inventive. Um he also did uh, a movie called Derailed with Clive Owen and Jennifer Aniston
1: I think never seen it
0: Yeah it was kind of forgettable uh, I did see it but I couldn't tell you anything about it but whatever the case he has a like a a bit of a flair for visuals and like he lays out this first 15 minutes so well that I was like yeah like this is what I remember this movie being fairly confident and like I think this is a really confident action movie and I look forward to talking with you about The performances, because I think, you know, there's some interesting stuff going on here, especially with Schwarzenegger. And, you know, I got some quibbles maybe with uh, some of the later (laughs) stuff, third act, sort of late second act stuff. But overall, it's a fun movie. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Okay, so where do you want to dive in? Well, I think what we should do first is
1: two things. One is, before I even get into my usual... uh, inadequate synopsis of the film probably sure. probably the most inadequate part of this podcast if i'm being <laughs> honest with myself i'm having a lot of revelations on this podcast <laughs> um, i should tell people out there this is a movie uh, more so than most schwarzenegger movies it it has uh, a few twists and turns so if you haven't seen escape planet it's a movie that's worth seeing if you're a schwarzenegger fan and even if you're not even if you just you know want to throw something on in the afternoon and you don't mind schwarzenegger
0: right uh, if you're a big sam neill
1: fan though maybe yeah if you're a big 50 cent fan right uh you can throw it on but we will be spoiling the movie so if you haven't seen it and you don't want to know who the bad guys really are and you can't figure that out when you're watching the movie there's only so many characters uh, (laughs) um then uh, turn it off now, turn this podcast off now, and go and watch it on your local streaming service if it's still available.
0: I think it's on Netflix right now. So,
1: Tony, what is this movie about? Well, I'm glad you asked, Cam. This movie is about Ray Breslin, played by Sylvester Stallone, who is, at various points in the film, uh, some or all of prosecutor, structural engineer, security expert, escape artist... (laughs) <laughs> amateur geographer uh <laughs> navigator of the sea yeah uh he's pretty crafty as well he's probably good at knitting sure anyways he's he's kind of a he can <laughs> replicate art <laughs> yeah he, he's a he's a renaissance man we'll put it that way yes and his job for a hefty fee is to uh... It's not really ever clear to me why. But incarcerate himself in prisons and then break out to show where the security flaws are. They established pretty early on he's broken out of uh, no fewer than 14 maximum security prisons. Yeah. And lo and behold, he's got one job with a big, big paycheck on it. It's like $5 million. Yeah. In a black ops, off-the-grid prison that he has got to break out of. And what do you know... It turns out that his cover is blown and he has to escape out of there, not as a secret
0: shopper, a
1: secret prisoner, if you will, (laughs) but
0: as Ray Breslin himself. That's right. And, you know, meanwhile, his team, you know, Amy Ryan, 50 Cent and uh, Vincent D'Onofrio are kind of working behind the scenes to try and figure out where he could have gone and how they can save him.
1: Yeah, if you're into uh, what that's one thing I will say about this film, if you're into Like the most 1990s uh, cinema hacking of all time. Yes. All you got to do is watch 50 Cent hack into everything. It's basically just guessing passwords the whole movie.
0: I love this tradition of action movies where you hire like a collection of like high caliber um, character actors. And then just like put them in really boring scenes where they're doing not a lot and just giving exposition. And you can tell they shot them in like three days. Yeah, and it, it, it reminds me of like say like the council scenes in Under Siege, where there's like the admiral sitting around the table.
1: Yes, well, and yeah, precisely. Well, and just <laughs> just to comment on that, uh, no knock on Fitty. I don't know if I would put him in the category of high caliber character actor.
0: Fair point. I
1: was talking more about D'Onofrio and Amy Ryan, and for that matter, I mean a few other people show up in this movie. Jim Caviezel as a particularly ornery
0: warden yeah you know this warden is evil because he collects butterflies yeah that's his only (laughs) he's like a serial killer (laughs) yeah he collects butterflies and plays piano music Uh, no offense to the piano playing butterfly collectors out there
1: (laughs) yeah and we see uh vinnie jones show up in basically playing jason statham in a really weird way (laughs) yeah yeah uh and and a few, I think you mentioned Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. but you know, it's a good cast around these guys.
0: Yeah, it is for sure. And uh, you know, like if you're gonna make this sort of movie, it's not like these supporting roles have like a lot of heat behind them in terms of the writing. But if you fill them out with really memorable character actors, you know, you didn't actually reference Sam Neill, but Sam Neill's like the prison doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know you you know a lot of these are kind of boring roles. But if you put really good personalities into them. They kind of come alive, and I do think that's a hidden strength of this movie, and that even the kind of dead-end characters kind of pop because they're all played by really charismatic actors, except for 50 Cent. I thought Sam Neill was the prison paleontologist. <laughs> I thought the scene where he had to climb over the deactivated electrical fence was a little bit too much like Jurassic Park. Possibly, but he did, he did a good job <laughs> 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 Let's get into this movie. What did you think of the like setup of this movie? Of you know, Stallone being this high-tech uh prison breakout guy who literally wrote the book on breaking out of prisons. The book was called Compromising Correctional Facility Security. <laughs> I'm glad you made a note of that, because I-, I
1: was squinting at the screen trying to see what it was. Um, let- Ray
0: Breslin, not a wordsmith. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, let me tell you. Also, if you go to your public library yeah. and you check that book out, I'm pretty sure that a light starts beeping in
0: the local police station and the cameras turn on. Like, why would he not at least have, like, a, you know, catchy introductory title and have that as the uh, the subtitle? You know, like, breaking out. <laughs> Compromising Correctional Facility Security by Ray Breslin.
1: I don't know, maybe I think maybe it goes to Breslin's character, which we'll we'll get into a bit when we're talking about Stallone's acting in this movie. Sure. as a practical
0: no-nonsense kind of guy. Well, what did you think of Stallone playing this type of character because we haven't really seen him play a character like this. I mean, I guess you could maybe say his character in The Specialist and that he was, you know, like a specialist. Or maybe the guy in Assassins was like a really good assassin, but like, what did you think of Stallone here as kind of this guy who's like very observant, very technically knowledgeable, and is like a thinker and a planner more so than a man of action, at least until later down the road.
1: I thought it was really good, actually. I mean, they don't waste Stallone's physical capabilities here, nope. um, and I mean they do establish him really early on in the film as a guy who knows how to handle himself in a prison yard fight. Yeah. And in fact has apparently instigated a prison yard fight against these poor fellow inmates who probably didn't want to get stabbed, but what what do you do when you're in the dog yard there?
0: I have real questions about uh Breslin's operations where like I totally understand this idea of breaking out of prisons, you you know these high security prisons that kind of makes sense to me. But like if it involves stabbing inmates, I feel like That's something that the facility might be like, you know, we're not too big on that. There's a little bit of liability here. Yes, when we're having, you know, men stabbed under our watch, it doesn't really reflect good on us, especially when they find out it was for us to test a (laughs) fence. Correct. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But I thought Stallone did pretty good. I, I, I mean, Stallone's one of those guys, I think, because he has done you know, Rambo and rhinestone and over the top sure. and Cobra and Tango and cash and a whole list of <laughs> movies where he is, you know, not Oscar worthy. Right. Right. Um, people forget that Stallone's got some chops. Yeah. And uh, both the, both the physical scenes and the action scene that, that he's doing, which he always, even at his, his age, uh, which we saw in like maybe the Expendables, which we did, um, I guess not that recently. He does have a certain kind of kinetic movement to him still and can really bring something to an action scene, but he also uh, has like a quiet guy who's observing things and making notes and you know he's good at playing a smart
0: guy and I gotta believe it's because he probably is a smart guy. He seems to be reasonably intelligent, like every time I've read an interview with him he comes across quite well, but yeah like I I really like this Stallone and this is one of the few movies where I feel like he is actually embracing his age in a certain way. Uh, you know, Ray Breslin, let's be honest, he has abilities probably far beyond that of most people in their late 60s or early 70s. More so than I'll have. Or early 20s or mid-20s. Well, that too. Or early 30s. Basically, has more abilities than, than anyone. Sure. But I feel like a lot of the strengths of this performance... Are the things that he can do as an aging action hero, which is this you know, this very observant character, a guy who's basically figuring out the game the entire time and explaining it to Schwarzenegger. And to me that was really interesting. And I thought Stallone was actually really on point here. You know, like when I see his recent performances in like the Creed movies, even uh, the two thousand eight Rambo movie, I feel like Stallone is getting a little bit uh, you know, in his advancing years. More interested in actual character like acting versus like some of the '90s stuff, which got a little goofy or silly, like Judge Dredd or The Specialist. But like when I see him here, he actually seems to be really honed in on a character, which like I wouldn't have said about the uh, Expendables movies so much. Like here, he actually seems to lock into this premise. Yeah,
1: actually, the movie that I thought of uh, or that came to mind when I was thinking about Stallone's acting in this movie was actually Copland, weirdly enough. Which right. Uh, I mean, Escape Plan is really nothing like Copland, except that, you know, both movies do have law enforcement officers in them. Right. But uh, I thought the caliber of the performance in some of the quieter scenes was really kind of in tune with with that movie more than, say, Rambo or something like that. Sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Yeah, I enjoyed his his work here. And, like, I, I would like to see him do more things like this, like exploring different avenues of the action hero that we haven't seen before because he obviously seems very intent on continuing to do these types of movies and like I saw a bullet to the head this same year and like his work here was so much more interesting to me.
1: Yeah for sure.
0: And now what about Schwarzenegger because this is the first time we're seeing them pairing off each other and so like what did you think of Schwarzenegger as his prison buddy here? I thought Schwarzenegger was really good as well uh which... I kind of forget. Like,
1: when I first saw this movie, I actually came away not thinking that. I was like, you know, it was a pretty good movie. I enjoyed it. But Schwarzenegger was a little weak. And I didn't find that here. I don't know. Maybe I'm just in a better mood today or something like that. But right. I thought Schwarzenegger was pretty convincing as uh, his prison mate, Rotmeier, who's helping him hash this
0: escape plan. Right. Escape plan. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like... I remember at the time there was a lot of reviews saying, like, hey, like, this movie isn't, like, a home run, but, like, Schwarzenegger's doing interesting work in it. And I still feel that way. Like, Schwarzenegger in The Last Stand, for example, my memories of it were, like, it was a little more of kind of, like, a iconic Arnold Take. Like, it didn't feel like there was a lot of layers to it or like he was really stretching outside his comfort zone. No, not at all. Whereas, like, I feel like here he's actually playing a little more of a character. Like, Rottmeyer is a little quirkier than your typical Arnold character. He has, like, a scene where he's faking a breakdown in, like, the box, you know, like the solitary confinement box. Uh, uh, yeah, I'd made a note of that. I mean, that was
1: spectacular. I would actually love to see Schwarzenegger playing that character straight yeah like he was faking it in that scene but i would love to see him play uh an unhinged i don't know what you would call it like an action king lear or something (laughs) like that
0: (laughs) well we you know we saw him playing hamlet in last action hero so maybe king lear would have been in last action hero too (laughs) maybe maybe not quite that far but but you know what i mean
1: um because he's crying, he's banging on the walls, he's ta- he's Speaking German? Where he's screaming in a foreign language, or I guess <laughs> not a foreign language if you're Schwarzenegger, right. at uh, the the warden Hobbes, Jim Caviezel, saying, you're evil, he, you know, he's delusionary, mm-hmm. uh, he's banging on the walls, he's crying,
0: he's tearing at his clothes, and I kept thinking, man, I'd like to see a whole
1: movie of this.
0: Right, yeah, yeah, I think that could have been so fun, like, I would love to see him play a little bit of a weirder, kind of unhinged character because, like, we've seen Schwarzenegger in this later stage of his career open to different things. You know, when he's showing up in like, killing Gunther, playing, like, a really wacky role. Or Maggie, playing, like, the most depressed human being alive in a movie that's very depressing. It's hard to tell whether he's more depressed than Maggie or Aftermath. I guess we haven't done Aftermath on
1: yeah, this I've podcast. Yeah, I seen it, so I can't say. <laughs> okay. But yeah, like he
0: is interested in playing these kind of depressed characters, for sure. So I would like to see him maybe do something a little bit unhinged, because I think he's a ton of fun here. And I do love how this character of Rottmire walks this line of ambiguity. You never really know where he's coming from, why he's so chummy with Stallone right off the bat. And he's kind of the prison guy who can help him out with things. He's the favor man. And I think uh, Schwarzenegger injects so much, like, color to the proceedings. You know, obviously Stallone's there as your lead. He's the guy who's laying out all the plans and kind of has to carry the burden of the dramatic weight of the movie. Whereas, like, Schwarzenegger just gets to have fun. And it's not like a um, Expendables 2 type of fun where it's just like, I'm just going to cut up in every scene. It's like he's grounding it all in character, but he's like bringing life to every kind of scene he shares with uh, Stallone.
1: You know, now that I think about it, I and I might be wrong here, I think pretty much every scene that he had or close to it, his only job was to create a diversion. Um, Well,
0: or just to find things for him. Yeah, uh,
1: Usually after creating a diversion. <laughs> well,
0: obviously. Yeah, we don't know if he created a diversion when he stole that guy's glasses. It probably did. That that diversion was off-screen. Yes. That's in the director's cut.
1: Yes. (laughs) Uh, He's also got some of the weirdest off-the-wall
0: lines that we've heard from Schwarzenegger since, like, the 80s. Yeah, and it seemed like they really knew how to write him good dialogue, or at least fun dialogue. And this this was written by Miles Chapman, who basically only writes Escape Plan movies, and uh, Jason Keller, who... Didn't even have his real name on this script. He went under the name Arnel Jesco, But, like, he's done some stuff. He did, like, Machine Gun uh, Preacher, the Gerard Butler movie. He's also attached to that uh, Ford versus Ferrari movie that's coming up that Michael Mann directed. So, like, he has a bit of pedigree, but obviously not the most excited about his contributions to this. But I actually think, you know, these two writers took, you know, a, a premise that could have been really stupid and made it, you know, pretty
1: lively and fun. I don't know which one of those two guys wrote the line when Schwarzenegger is in the middle of creating yet another diversion uh, of, uh, your mother was my favorite whore in Marrakesh. Man, could she polish a helmet while making lewd hand gestures around his mouth? I was like... Holy smokes here, Arnold. Yeah. Uh, this is only your second one back.
0: <laughs> just just back off a little bit here, pal. That is a clip that I would imagine the AFI will play at his uh, career celebration <laughs> when he, you know, hits like 80 years old or 90 years old. Yeah, like, uh, it, it was definitely something. Uh, but, like, yeah. he's having fun in every scene. And I, I really appreciated that about that because I often find, especially with, like, uh, some of these other prison movies I talked about, like Lock Up or um, Death Warrant, like... A lot of time when you set these movies in prisons, it's like the humor and fun is drained out of them because the setting is so depressing and grim. But like I, I felt like Schwarzenegger was the one who always kept that energy up throughout this movie. I would have liked to see him
1: uh, eat 50 hard-boiled eggs. <laughs> Do the cool hand Luke combo. <laughs> uh, no kidding. But on the subject of these two guys and the acting that they're doing in this movie and... <laughs> You might as well segue. You mentioned Michael Mann. Yeah. That's the, maybe the one beef that I have with this movie is the way it handled the pairing of these actors. Okay. Is that they didn't really put them on screen enough playing off of each other. They were working together. They had a few good lines where you, right. one of them says, you you don't look very smart. And the other one says, well, you don't either. Yeah. You got a good chuckle out of that. But you think about... When you're pairing up iconic actors together in a way that people have been talking about wanting it to happen for years, like like has been the case with Stallone and Schwarzenegger, you look at say uh, Michael Mann's Heat, right, right, where you have like De Niro and Pacino finally on screen at the same time, yeah, and it was a big payoff, sure, right, uh, and obviously a more dramatic. <laughs> kind of film with with
0: higher pedigree actors when they were making escape plan they were like this is the next heat
1: (laughs) probably not but you know what i mean is i i feel like both stallone and schwarzenegger are not only good at doing the kind of acting that they do both i guess from a thespian perspective uh and from a physical perspective right but they're also kind of they're also funny actors when you when you give them stuff and having them together uh playing off each other a little bit, the way they would play off of whoever their supporting cast was right. in whatever movies they happened to be doing for the last 30 years. Yeah, uh, It's a shame that they didn't do a little bit more of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know, I kind of enjoyed just the two of them being buddies in a certain way. Like, it felt so different to me of just like these two action heroes bonding. You know, you referenced Hobbs and Shaw, where like those two snipe at each other for like an hour and a half straight. Before they're kind of like, oh, okay, we're family, I guess, for the last half hour. Hey, don't spoil it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I I did enjoy in this one how they did kind of have some sort of bond fairly quick. It just felt different to me. I don't know. Yeah, no, I definitely enjoyed it. But
1: I thought that they could have done a little bit more with the personalities of Schwarzenegger and Stallone together. Sure. They did a good job establishing them each on their own. Mm -hmm. uh, But I would have liked to have seen more. Because usually, like, you look at the Expendables and... Everything is just like an homage to their past characters, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was nice not having that here, not having Schwarzenegger winking at the camera and saying, I'll be back or get to the chopper.
0: Yeah, yeah, and he could have done both of those.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. You know, he's he's playing an, uh, a normal character without playing Schwarzenegger.
0: Okay, so what did you think of the world of this prison? Like, the movie really does set up, like, There's a lot of effort put into, like, this is the ultimate prison. You know, uh, Stallone will never be able to break out of this. Was it a convincing environment? Like, did you enjoy the action within this environment? Yeah, for sure.
1: I mean, it was totally preposterous.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, wait till we talk about Escape Plan 2 later down the road.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's coming up. I'm not looking forward to that. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I've seen Escape Plan 2 um, and put it this way. It is no escape plan one. Right. And escape plan one is, you know, no cool hand Luke. Sure. <laughs> um, but I mean, the, the prison was um, totally ridiculous, clearly uh, inspired by Oz. Uh, the the TV show not the <laughs> <laughs> not the place with munchkins I thought it was weird that there was
0: flying monkeys all over the place
1: <laughs> yeah uh, you know with it's it's plexiglass cells and the, it's it's uh corned off cell blocks and, yeah. the, and then the fact again spoiler alert folks I'm actually gonna spoil something here uh, lo and behold it's on a boat off the coast of Morocco a CG boat yeah I mean I, I mean what a stupid idea <laughs> But I, I didn't care. I was like, whatever, these guys are in prison. Of course it's going to be
0: a movie prison. It's sure. not going to be a real prison. It's ludicrous, but the movie never ridicules it, which I think actually works in its favor. Like, It takes it on its own terms. And like, I, I buy into the world of this movie where absurd floating prisons exist in the seas around Morocco that apparently like, no one would ever sense were on the sea because <laughs> it's just smooth water all the time
1: yeah i mean we don't really get to know too many of the other inmates um right you know there's one one guy played by farron tahir he's kind of the leader of the muslim sect yeah in the in the prison of the muslim group i should say
0: he'll be really familiar to anyone who saw the uh and i think everyone saw the original iron man he played the leader of the like 10 rings gang that kidnapped tony stark at the start of that movie. Yeah,
1: and yeah, I think he was some captain
0: or other on the Star Trek uh, reboot. Yeah, yeah, he was. He had the start of Star Trek 2009, yeah.
1: Yeah, but for the most part, the, the rest of the prisoners are in the background only showing up once in a while as large extras to take place in a diversion of some kind. Sure.
0: I mean, I really did love this, like, glass cells, the idea of these boxes where they put them in, which is, like, their solitary punishment with, like, the bright lights on them. It's kind of stuff we've seen in old movies uh, where, like, a prison, they'll, like, throw a guy in, like, a hot box out in the sun. It's just, like, that idea taken up to, like, a little bit of a silly high-tech level. And, like, I kind of love that it hits all these prison tropes while also making it this like futuristic, you know, secret prison. Yeah, I mean, the the concept itself
1: is is totally preposterous. I mean, sure. they don't really establish why, like,
0: why anyone would want a secret prison. Well, it's for people that are being quote unquote disappeared. Like, there's no trials or anything. This is an illegal prison. They keep establishing kind of throughout that a lot of these prisoners are like, well, you're only here because someone's paying to keep you here. Now, I'm not totally clear all the time on what happens in the
1: criminal underworld but i'm pretty sure that when somebody is disappeared it doesn't mean that somebody is paying for them to stay in a black ops prison for their entire lives (laughs) that would have to be expensive
0: I gotta believe it is yeah I think disappeared means something else entirely (laughs) (laughs) I do love that all the guards have these like THX 1138 like masks on the whole time which have to be really uncomfortable can you imagine wearing that black face mask throughout like an eight-hour workday have you ever worn like a Halloween mask when you've gone out on Halloween like you breathe in that thing it just fills up with like like your breath and just gets so damp it's disgusting yeah, I didn't really understand why they were wearing those masks.
1: I, I mean, I gathered it was so that the prisoners didn't know who those guards were.
0: But, I mean, who cares? <laughs> and also, it's just to make them look scary. Yeah, exactly. Honest. exactly. And, like, you know, when you have Vinnie Jones walking around in one. And I like how they have, like, the silly, like, <laughs> like laser tag armor on as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the armor,
1: I, I will say, the armor looked ridiculous. It did. Um and somehow managed to make Vinnie
0: Jones look small. I know, that was weird, right? It made him look really skinny. Yeah, which and Vinnie Jones is like the opposite of a skinny yeah. guy. Yeah, like, you know, normally you would have Vinnie Jones facing off against Stallone and be like, whoa, Stallone may be in some trouble. But in this movie, Vinnie Jones does not look intimidating at all. Yeah, you think of other
1: movies that he's been in, like think about Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Sure. Um. Or uh, Gone in sixty seconds, he always plays like the biggest guy around.
0: Yeah, X Men: The Last Stand. He played the Juggernaut, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And what did you think of his boss in this movie, Jim Caviezel? Really interesting casting choice. Jim Caviezel, I think most famously played (laughs) Jesus in (laughs) The Passion of the Christ. That's right. And you have some weird lines in this, like where like uh, Schwarzenegger refers to him on screen as the devil. (laughs) And, like, people keep referencing God in this. And, like, Jim Caviezel just plays this, like, sociopathic, like, nightmare. But I kind of like that it was kind of a little bit of stunt casting. And, like, Jim Caviezel, who I've seen in a lot of movies, actually. I remember there was a point where they were kind of pushing him as the next big thing. And, like, I remember watching him in this movie, like, Angel Eyes, starring uh, Jennifer Lopez. He was in a bunch of stuff around that kind of time period. And I remember he just bored me to death. But, like, Jim Cavizel now, you know, post- it factor is just having fun like he is really goofy in this movie he's really colorful and like i loved him as this campy villain
1: yeah it was interesting wasn't it because he wasn't over the top but he was uh clearly a really evil guy oh yeah i I mean (laughs) had no heart at all uh it's amazing that he would get a job like this (laughs) but uh if he was over the top in any way he was just over the top, indifferent. There's a few scenes like yeah. where um, the the character uh, played by Ferran here has been shot and he's he's gasping his last breath and he starts speaking to him in yet another subtitled scene, right? Uh, telling him you know how bad he is and that kind of thing and right. Um, he just kind of pulls his gun out and says whatever.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that was a great one. I love, too, at the end where he's killed, and he's, like, up on this boat, and, like, there's, like, barrels about to explode, and Stallone's gonna shoot them, and and Stallone just goes, boom. And it cuts to him going, like, meh. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's this really weird reaction. And, like, Jim Caviezel has a lot of weird reaction moments throughout this movie that, to me... These are my favorite things to see in action movies, where you get these villains who get these really weird offhand moments. Christopher Walken's really good at them in, like, View to a Kill. Not one of my favorite Bond movies, but he has, like, a scene where he's going to die in that movie, and he starts laughing to himself, and it's really fun. And Jim Caviezel has a ton of those moments here. I wish all of these guys' action movies had villains like this. Well, you think about
1: like he didn't have a ton to work with in his script. No, I don't think. Anyways, I mean, I don't have the script in front of me. But you, you think how this might be handled by a bad character
0: actor or just one who's phoning it in?
1: Yeah. Well, and we'll talk about escape plan too later. <laughs> um, but I did think uh, just talking about the kind of main and secondary bad guy here i did think Vinny jones was a little bit wasted in this movie
0: i mean he's fine i feel like at this point though his career was mostly in direct-to-video stuff so just seeing him on the big screen had a little bit of novelty at this point maybe i just think he's a fairly
1: talented guy though and again another big physical presence Uh, he just pretty much just snarled at people the whole movie and wore uh, that mask and wore that mask and yeah uh they could have done a lot more with him you look look at what they've done with him in movies where he's basically used as this uh effect or a scene or as part of the movie and here he was just window dressing
0: right now i want to get to one of my quibbles with this movie which is like in the first 15 minutes of escape plan you get this really really exciting scene where you see how stallone breaks out of this prison right but i found like I loved all the planning and all the surveillance stuff throughout the movie. Like, I really enjoyed a lot of that back and forth with Stallone and Schwarzenegger as they trying to figure out the world of the tomb prison. I thought that was all just really entertaining to watch. But I found the actual breakout a little bit lacking, and a lot of it was just based on circumstance and like, well, hopefully this doctor comes to our side. Uh, like, I would have liked to have seen Breslin succeed not through, well, you know, I managed to win the heart of this doctor who... Obviously hates his life working here, uh, versus like him figuring out technical issues with the prison and using the technology against the warden. I would have liked that a little oh, bit more. Wh- I think.
1: What are you talking about? You, you,
0: really, it didn't bother you at all that a lot of it was just kind of like force of will. By the end, it was just like we just got to like punch and gun our way out of here. Versus like more of like a Mission Impossible type breakout. Well,
1: isn't that what Mission Impossible is? Is
0: that all? Something always goes wrong in, That's their, true. in their impossible
1: mission, and that they haven't actually planned properly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the whole movie is them setting up for the breakout, right? So they they work the people on the inside, which they established from the very beginning that you need someone on either the inside or the outside. Yeah. Uh, Stallone's got his three rules. You know, you need someone. You need to know the routine, and you need to know the uh, layout. Right. And, you know, him intentionally going into the, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, the sweat room, the light room, and uh, popping the rivets out. Love that bit. With a a piece of metal.
0: It's absurd, I think, although I'm no scientific genius. Yeah, (laughs) I guess reflecting the light on it. But it's fun.
1: It's pretty fun. And then, uh, you know, building one of my favorite parts in the movie. And I think it's maybe a part that turned off a lot of the, the, (laughs) at least what I can tell in the negative reviews of this film. Uh, where he builds a sextant out of... (laughs) It's so weird, but I like that it's weird. (laughs) Yeah, out of like a pen, some medical supplies, and a pair of glasses. Yeah. And then gives it to Ferranta. Here's character so that he can, when he goes up to pray on the deck of the ship, uh, can use it to take a reading and determine that, um, well, not that they're off the coast of Morocco specifically, but that uh, they're at a particular latitude. There's no storms. And therefore, uh, Stallone extrapolates uh, pretty much exactly where they are on the, on the globe. He's a man of many
0: gifts, yes.
1: <laughs> and even when the escape starts, for sure, there are parts that go wrong where they they seal off the hatch. and Stallone right. has to uh, go down and and, I guess blow the power on it and un- unseal it. Mm-hmm. But even then, he knows the layout. I mean, the gunfighting in this movie doesn't make a ton of sense in the in the context. You were yeah. shooting me dirty looks when we were watching it because uh, they're just gunning down prison guards who have not had any part <laughs> at all in this movie. And I was just saying, I just
0: work here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought it was just good pay. <laughs> 14 days on, seven off. I'm going home to my family. Well, I said they were ex-military and Blackwater rejects. Whatever that means.
1: Whatever yeah. that Whatever that means. But, yeah, I mean, I never found that. I mean, there was certainly a, a couple serendipitous moments where had things not gone that way, they wouldn't have gotten out. Yeah. But I thought for the most part, it was them planning and executing that plan.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I just... I don't know. Like, I, maybe it's just the, the opening was so strong and it had that heist movie element where... You get to see it play out, and then you get to see how he actually did it. I would have liked maybe that at the end. I think that would have been cool, just to see how Ray Breslin was so brilliant that he managed to pull off something that no one could have seen coming. Like, that's maybe what I wanted a little more of, versus being able to watch the entire breakout and being like, yeah, that makes sense, that makes sense, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and maybe that is one thing. I think in the hands of maybe a better director uh, or a better writer like, you you would have seen, like, a big reveal at the end where yeah. th- things that you thought were going wrong, you, you would have seen kind of your Ocean's Eleven moment.
0: Right. um Okay, I guess there is, like, one little surprise moment in that the movie does frame the final encounter with Stallone and the warden in this back and forth, and then you realize that Stallone is actually in, like, a pipe that's going to purge him out the bottom of the ship. Like, it fills up with water and shoots him out the bottom. Whereas the movie has had this situation where Schwarzenegger's up top, With his, you know, helicopter buddies waiting (laughs) for Stallone and it's just like looking at the clock. Oh my god, is Stallone going to make it out? And then you realize that actually he was going to meet him in the water after he was purged out the bottom of the ship. Like, I thought that was fun.
1: Right, although I don't think Schwarzenegger knew he was going to meet him. You don't think so? I wasn't sure. Uh, I thought maybe he was. No, I thought thought that the only reason that Stallone went down into the bowels of the ship in the first place was because the hatch to the top of the ship locked Mm. and he had to unlock it and then find an escape out because Schwarzenegger was looking at his watch and then flew off and then noticed that Breslin was in the water.
0: Here's the point though, I think, where maybe the confusion comes in because when he's saying to Schwarzenegger, you know, the hatch is going to become unlocked for like five seconds. You have five seconds to get out. He never says anything like, I'll meet you up top. Like, they leave that, I think, intentionally vague. I think you're supposed to think he's that he's going the same way as Schwarzenegger. But the movie never actually explicitly states that. Yeah, I mean, it seemed really obvious to me at the time uh, what, <laughs> okay. was, what was going on. Well, it's we- open to interpretation, folks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you at home can settle this one. <laughs> yeah. The Great I, Escape I, Line I, debate. <laughs> I mean, we can we can keep
1: debating it, but I was totally clear... On what was happening in the film, I'm not normally clear on what's happening in movies. Normally, I have no idea what's going
0: on. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about let's talk about the twists then of this movie, which is that we find out that uh, Sylvester Stallone's buddy, played by Vincent D'Onofrio is actually a turncoat, which, you know, Vincent D'Onofrio, who would have guessed?
1: Yeah, as soon as he's on the screen, as soon as they introduce him, this is, <laughs> this is my partner, Lester Clark, and we've got one more job. You're like, oh, okay, I wonder what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and he's, like, wearing, like, a big floppy white hat, and he's, like, putting a sanitizer on his hands in multiple scenes. Like, Yeah, he's a thoroughly unlikable character. Yeah, but we find out he's up to <laughs> no good. He is paying the warden to keep Breslin in this prison. Wow. Now, that's where I get a little confused because Schwarzenegger's in there. He is actually this like, what would you describe his character as in reality? He, uh, I
1: mean, he describes what he is. And he's some kind of a guy who, I guess. Dismantles the banking system, or is a threat to the banking system, and redistributes wealth to the poor. So he's kind of like Robin Hood, I guess. He actually describes himself as Robin Hood yeah, at one yeah, point yeah. in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Although that's one of the twists as well, because at the time, yes, he's saying that he just works for that guy or knows where he is. Yes. But as soon as he says it, you're like, oh yeah, there's. Uh, he's like, I know the important guy. It's like, no, you are the important guy, Arnold.
0: Yeah, like, Victor Mannheim is kind of the Kaiser Soze of this movie, where the entire time they keep talking about Victor Mannheim, but at the end we find out who Victor Mannheim actually is. But in this case, it's
1: like watching the usual suspects in reverse, Yeah. because as soon as he's there, you're like, okay, well, there, there's Kaiser.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, okay, so, <laughs> let's walk through this, though. Okay, so, basically, Schwarzenegger's daughter, uh, played by Catriona Balf, uh, has come to them pretending to be cia and hiring ray breslin to go to this facility in the first place i feel
1: like this line of thought is going to take you somewhere you don't want to go cam okay which is
0: unpacking the logic of this movie (laughs) okay but let's just go for it so okay (laughs) she is sending him in to break out her father that makes sense right sure okay there's code words involved based, sure. on their, uh, based on their names. Yeah, so basically, Stallone is in a way being set up by her, but mostly just to be an ally to Schwarzenegger. He's speaking in code, he doesn't know it, but Schwarzenegger's picking it all up. Yeah. That all makes sense H- to me.
1: His fake ID is Portos, which they describe as the fourth musketeer, although I'm pretty sure that D'Artagnan was actually the fourth musketeer.
0: I guess unless you're going in terms of like star billing, where I feel like D'Artagnan gets listed first
1: uh i guess so i guess anyways, that's
0: neither here nor there sure but um anyways so okay this all goes on but then then vincent d'onofrio is paying the warden to keep breslin in there what a twisted web and because he does this he's going to get a job with the tomb prison system for five million dollars a year makes sense right but like why are they so invested in breslin
1: Yeah, it's not at all clear. And this goes back to the whole purpose of this prison to begin with. Yeah. Is if Lester Clark is so evil and the Warden is so evil, why not just kill Breslin and then hire Lester?
0: I don't know.
1: (laughs) Why take the world's greatest escape artist and put him in the only place in the world that he can do harm to both of you? I don't know. It's weird, right? (laughs) (laughs) Again, we don't want to go down this road. Uh, As soon as I started thinking about it, I was just like, you know, that's going to make me like this movie a little less. Uh, I was like, Stallone's an escape artist. He's in a prison.
0: There's bad guys on the outside. There's bad guys on the inside. That's all I need to know. Did we need the D'Onofrio twist? Like, could you take that out and the movie would still work just as well? Because you'd still have all the stuff with Schwarzenegger's real identity. And the warden, of course, is still going to be, you know, a sociopath.
1: Yeah, I don't see why... Now that you mention it, I don't see why you
0: needed that uh, D'Onofrio twist at all. I guess it gives Amy Ryan and 50 Cent something to do, but not a lot. So, yeah, it's weird, right? I don't know. Maybe they were just like, let's really... It's not enough to kind of pull one over on the audience once. This is a heist movie in many ways, after all, so you want to have the audience off balance. They had their one twist, but they were like, we got to throw in another because this is kind of a heist movie. So, like... This is the one they went for, I guess. They just added this one with Vincent D'Onofrio. Does the boat count as a... The boat definitely counts, yeah. That's more of a reveal than a twist, but
1: you know. And Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, uh, coming clean at the end of the movie. Sure. Uh, I actually thought, and I can't tell if it was the best delivered line of the movie or the worst delivered line of the movie, where at the end of the movie, Schwarzenegger is revealed to be this... uh, Victor Mannheim. Yeah, this Victor Mannheim character. Yeah. And Stallone just looks at him and says, Oh, I didn't see that coming.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I honestly couldn't tell if that was a serious line or not. I don't know. Um, You know, uh, the twists, yeah. Like I think one totally works and one is uh, maybe not the most watertight. (laughs) Well, speaking of watertightness
1: and twists, um, that scene where he's escaped from the solitary confinement room and has climbed up and discovered that it's a boat, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't really clear to me at all how accidentally pulling out an electrical conduit yeah. would cause a whole breach on multiple <laughs> levels of this
0: Black Ops prison ship. It's not like it's a super, super high-tech black ops prison once you get beyond the initial cells and structure of the prison like outside of that is like a rusty boat just waiting to fall apart yeah it just it just looks like a cargo ship yeah like at the end it's like uh, you know filling up the boxes with water and things like that like it's kind of a ticking time bomb just in terms of the uh, the mechanics of the ship
1: yeah so i think that you can't go too deep into the logic on this of why anyone in this movie is doing anything or
0: why this prison even exists because as soon as you do the movie will fall apart sure um speaking of falling apart something i wanted to talk about just a few minutes ago um it's like not the most exciting element of the movie but we have to talk about this prison doctor played by sam neill who really is the linchpin in this whole plan working sam neill's character hates his life it seems on this you know working in this prison Yeah, he applied on the wrong job. Yeah, like, this guy hates his job, and he's, like, patching up Stallone, and Stallone manages to win him over by just saying, check the book in the warden's office on page 80, there's a map. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and Sam Neill is just,
0: I'm in. Yeah, he comes back, he's like, how'd you know? And he's like, I wrote the book, I'm Ray Breslin. And he's
1: like, well, I'm sold. Yeah, tell me what I gotta do.
0: Yeah, it's like, (laughs)
1: that seems like a bit of a stretch, but... Okay, yeah, I'd like to I wouldn't want to be in this doctor's shoes. I don't think once this shady secret society, whoever they are, uh, who is funding this prison comes in and and does an investigation as to well, let's see how um, this guy uh, or these two guys broke out of this prison. And uh, oh, by the way, several of our staff are dead. <laughs> um, several prisoners have been wounded or killed. Yeah. And it all points back to Dr. Sam Neal.
0: Yes. That's that's not a position I'd want to find myself in. No, not at all. My favorite moment maybe with him is when he's like, you know, he's had a bit of a heart-to-heart with Stallone. And then we see him sitting in his office or the warden's office, I guess, because the book's in there. And uh, he's like, you know, he's drinking and reading a book of medical ethics. Oh, yeah, that was spectacular. (laughs) It's like, it wasn't enough that uh, he's looking like a medical book at the Hippocratic Oath, which we also see he's reading the Hippocratic Oath, but only like the first paragraph. He barely has made it down the first paragraph before he shuts the cover of the medical ethics book. And he's like, what have I done? Yeah, if any
1: of our listeners out there, if you're doctors, um, if you could just maybe shoot us a note, let us know. Do you sit around at night? reading your hippocratic oath is it in a book called medical ethics yeah and any time you have uh, an ethical quandary of any kind? Do you refer to your book on medical ethics? But only the first paragraph. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> S- Sam Neil's a spectacularly one-dimensional, <laughs> illogical character in this movie. I didn't mind him. No, no, he's fun. Uh, yeah, like like I said, it was it was just nice uh, seeing Doctor Grant from Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, totally
0: uh, helping Sylvester Stallone escape a prison boat. He should have been on the chopper at the end, watching birds soar. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I guess we're kind of at the final, the final third of this movie. Um, and this movie, there, well, there was some action. It was mostly just prison shankings and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, some fist fights. Yeah, yeah.
1: But what, and, and you know, near the end, in the last third, uh, you got uh, you know a few pistol battles with some guards and stuff like that. A couple suplexes here and there that were well placed. Sure. But <laughs> what did you think about the big action piece with Schwarzenegger, where he's Runs up to the helicopter, and of yeah. course, like all helicopters in these types of movies have, it's got a big 50-caliber uh, machine gun on it. Yeah, and he, he, rather than get in the helicopter and just use it like the way it was designed, lifts it up off the chopper <laughs> and just begins. Mowing
0: down guards. Guards who are, like, running at him. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) This was amazing. I love that it had, like, slow mo after he grabs the gun and, like, is turning his head to fire. The extreme close-up of just his eyes. Oh, it's great. Looking off to the side. Like, Escape Plan is a movie when I watch it. What I get a lot of entertainment value out of is the actual, you know, planning. The actual escape plan, if you will. But when it comes to the actual breaking out stuff in the action, I find... You know, a lot of the shootouts and stuff are, you know, they're perfunctory. They're fine. But they aren't exactly, like, choreographed in a way that's particularly memorable. But I do think a moment like this goes a long way towards making that final third action, you know, set pieces really actually work. Like, giving you a moment like that is very memorable. And having a great Schwarzenegger moment, you know, this really does go all the way back to, like, Predator with the big guns and stuff like that. Seeing Schwarzenegger do that again here... Is cool. really, really fun. I mean, I guess he did the same thing in the last stand as well. Yeah, I guess so, to be fair. Uh, um, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, let's just be honest. Picking up a big machine gun and mowing guys down is pretty much why we're doing this podcast That's here. also
0: true, yeah. But it's really well done here. Like, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it looks awesome. And uh, what did you think of the final little bit of, like, Stallone hanging by the, uh, the ladder from the chopper as, like, the wardens shooting at him with a pistol? Um... <laughs> Again, I'm no
1: ballistics expert. Uh, It's actually amazing on this podcast, I'll just say, um, how many times I find myself saying I'm no particular kind of expert. It makes me really worry that I actually have no expertise in anything at all.
0: Yeah, no, that's an excellent point, actually. I'm like the opposite of Ray Breslin. I'm in the
1: same boat as you, so... Yeah, like the, the, the opposite side of the Renaissance man magnet. <laughs> yeah. We're the anti-Breslin. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> I mean, my understanding of pistols generally <laughs> is that they have a fairly limited range at which you can be accurate. Yeah. And that, that gets even harder to be accurate with a pistol when, say, you're hanging from the rope ladder of a moving (laughs) helicopter looking over your shoulder while shooting yeah uh at like 150 yards It, it, it becomes a little tough to to really hit the bullseye if you know what i mean yeah totally but uh
0: these guys seem to do a pretty good job of it i mean they get within a couple feet of each other that's for sure well we've seen a lot of these movies try to channel that sort of 80s over the top action And not pull it off. But I feel like this one, when it actually committed to those moments, they worked. Like the catchphrases Arnold and Stallone had worked. They were fun. The big like explosive moments here that are really silly and over the top totally worked for me. So I can't say that the movie, you know, fails in any way for going for it. Like it may be ridiculous and whatever, but it, it totally sells in that moment. It's really, you know, in keeping with the absurdity of the movie. Yeah, I mean, we got to see Arnold at his, at his uh, yelliest,
1: uh, uh, best. I, I mean, that scene where he has a hose crammed down his throat. I was just like, this is... That was brutal. How do you think they shot that? <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe
0: maybe Arnold asked for another million and they just turned it on. Yeah, when they started that scene, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I think there was a waterboarding scene here. And then like they just crammed this hose down his mouth and I'm like that looks unpleasant <laughs> yeah um but you know you gotta hand it to him i don't know i mean assuming he did his own stunts in that scene there's no way there's no way that stuff, that they were jamming a hose in schwarzenegger's mouth and turning it on i have no idea i can't i can't do <laughs> I mean, uh,
1: Barnaby kind of hopes so, that they were just like, "Ah, you know, we're we're on a bit of
0: a schedule here, Arnold. You got to take the hose, man. The fact they were obscuring the face so much makes me wonder if it was a dummy maybe that probably makes the most sense maybe but anyways we got to hear arnold uh, (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) that is gurgliest um and all in all yeah the the movie worked for me i don't know yeah okay so like you know final thoughts is this a movie you see yourself revisiting in the future
1: i think it is i think it's one i don't know if i'll watch it tomorrow but who wants to watch the same movie two days in a row right but i can definitely see myself uh picking this up as a pretty good example of what schwarzenegger was still capable of and what stallone was for that matter uh in kind of late career
0: yeah totally like i definitely think this is one of the more rewatchable and engaging schwarzenegger movies of his late career period like i think stallone has had some really strong stuff obviously like i would have to assume you know when the story of stallone is written and finished that people will look at this era more for creed than they will for escape plan yeah probably but i feel like with the uh schwarzenegger stuff like when you look at what he's put out with these expendables movies you know the last stand a lot of these straight to video movies like i do think escape plan is the one that really does give him something to chew on in terms of you know fun dialogue and a character as well as like those over-the-top action moments you hope for from schwarzenegger so like to me it's probably the most perfect you know Arnold work that we've seen in this late career hopefully we get a movie that's maybe a little higher on the quality bar you know another maybe true lies type hit but we'll see
1: well we'll see Uh, I think the the real test is going to be when uh Terminator Dark Fate hits but I mean that's going to be the next big starring vehicle he is in unless who knows maybe he's fantastic as uh Captain Hook and Journey to China.
0: Sure, maybe. Uh, If we can ever find that movie. One day, Tony. One day. (laughs) Yeah. Uh... Now, we have teased throughout Escape Plan 2 and Escape Plan 3. We are not going to actually talk about them in this episode, but keep an eye on your feed. Darn. Yeah, we're going to have some mini-episodes that will drop. You know, very soon, we don't want to spread them out that much, but we will have, you know, little mini sort of special episodes, our gift to you, for those of you who want to watch Escape Plan 2 and 3, and just kind of chart the Ray Breslin story.
1: Yeah, I haven't yet watched Escape Plan 3, I have watched Escape Plan 2. Yeah. And uh, we have, in some cases, done actual honest-to-goodness episodes on related movies i mean we did an episode on predator 2 we did a whole episode on predators and the predator we'll do the Colin farrell total recall i'm sure at some point down the road and i, I think even next time we're going to be doing something similar oh and what is that tony we're going to be doing call the conqueror which was originally conan the conqueror uh so we'll we'll kind of approach it as like a conan 3 it's got a lot of um Schwartz and your alumni in it too. So it'll be a bit of a special episode. But what I really wanted to say was I don't think I could talk about Escape Plan 2 for 80 minutes, and I know. You don't want to listen to us talk I would escape
0: plan to for 80 minutes. Definitely not. So yeah, keep your eye on the feed. And I am excited to do Call the Conqueror, not from the point of view of really breaking that movie apart. Because I know a lot of people won't have seen that movie. But we are really going to be analyzing this movie. A little bit of like archaeology on what Conan 3 could have been. Because I think a lot of our listeners love those Conan movies and would have loved a third movie. So we're really going to look at this. You know, what could Conan 3 have been?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's been ages since I've seen Call of the Conqueror. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the fact that I've seen it uh, (laughs) puts me in the minority.
0: I saw it too, Yeah. yeah. But we'll get to that, I guess, later. Yeah, totally. Okay, so that wraps up Escape Plan. Now, you can, of course... Email us with any suggestions or ideas or comments at arniegeddonpod at gmail.com. You can, of course, also contact us on Twitter at pod And, of course, leave reviews for us wherever you get podcasts. Helps us out a lot. <laughs> Help make Escape Plan the hit it deserves to be by spreading the word, by raising us up in the iTunes rankings. Or do whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Tony, how do they get hold of you? Uh, you can find me, Tony G...
1: Uh, Tony, like the name. G, like the letter at arniegeddon.com. Uh, if you don't like streaming, you just like going direct to the source, you can also go to www.arniegeddon.com and download our stuff there.
0: Of course, you can also <laughs> find me on Twitter at Cam v, as in Vicious Prisoner Smith. Okay, we'll be back with Call the Conqueror, a.k.a. Conan 3.